to one. far to describe um, the strangest thing that happened to me day as actually retarded, there was something that happened nonetheless. Last, like, two hours before I got here, I got off work at 5, and then, like, um, I left my house at, like, around 7.30. So, like, for, like, from 5 o'clock to 7.30 this evening, it was just, like, strange, man. I was at work, it was, like, 5 o'clock, I was already off. And I'm going through, like, the back door. And then there's like these two ladies who are just like, Hey, where's our juice? We're waiting for the juice. And there's like some juice that was on sale. And I was like, fuck, I don't know. I was like, okay, what? So like, I went to my manager. I'm like, hey, dude, like, do you know where this juice is? And he's just like, uh, dude, just tell her that like, um, it's out right now and she'll have to come back tomorrow. So I go back to the lady and I'm like, um, you know, we don't have any more juice. She's like, oh my God. Oh my god, you don't have any more juice! And I'm like, well miss, which which juice was in particular? Because I don't even really remember. And I had like the flyer with me, I was trying to like ask her which juice it was. She's like, don't give me that shit! Da 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 the juice! So I was like, fuck you. I didn't say that actually. That's how I felt, but what I actually did do was just said, sorry miss, I cannot help you. And I walked off. She goes, don't you turn your back on me! And I just said, watch me. And she walked into the back room. And she comes in the back room, she opens the door, she's like, Where's the juice? I want my juice! And like, my fucking like, manager came along, he's like, What's going on? He's like, This young man wants me the juice! And he's like, What happened? I'm like, I tried to patiently explain to her that I couldn't like, find the juice and that maybe it's not gonna be in until tomorrow. And she proceeded to get belligerent with me and like, was calling me out. And you know, I'm not gonna stand there and like, stand for that. I don't need to take that. She's like, I was not doing that! My manager was like, Smitsky, please stop screaming, we can hear you perfectly fine. She's like, I'm not screaming! And we're like, you're definitely, you're definitely screaming. So then all of a sudden my other manager comes up, he's like, I found the juice, it's just a miscommunication. And he hands you the juice, and she goes, see, that was the juice that I was looking for. And she wound up swung it, and I like went on my face. My manager was like, Smith, you cannot act that way, you cannot do that. And she goes, shut up! fucking skull and just like threw it up in the air with a backspin. That's kind of what my brain feels like when I smoke it. So I smoked that, tripped out in the shower, I had to stop the shower because I was scared I was gonna like, I was scared I was gonna slip and crack my head. So I get dressed, I come over here. You know? And I'm walking down the street and there's like this $5 bill, right? Holy shit, what good fortune, man! What a random fucking event of luck. So I walk over to it and I pick it up. As I'm picking it up, I look up and there's this guy staring at me. And I smiled at him. I gave him like a hundred million dollar smile. You know, like your teeth just glaring. Yeah! Big smile. 
And I walked off and then I thought to myself, what a dickish move, man. You know, like I just like, you know, I was fortunate enough to arrive at that spot a second before him. I scoop up the five dollars off the ground and I just give him this fucking smile. This evil little smile as if it means anything. Money. I was better than him in that moment. In that moment, I was a god. He was nothing, man. I could have kicked him right in the face and nobody would have said anything, man. In that moment, I was God. And to pop it all off, ladies and gentlemen, something disturbing to me on my way in to the building, there was this couple, this dorky hipster couple with their fucking classes and their stupid book-learning-looking faces. And read the newspaper every goddamn day. Sleep with it underneath your pillow at night. Mr. Fucking Current Events. Your fucking plaid shorts and your stupid fucking boating loafers and your tippity do haircut. And your smug smartphone. Fuck you. And your girlfriend with her dumbass bike. You look like you came from like a 1920s Parisian bakery. Storefront. Dress her dumbass, equally annoying hipster glasses. I was walking down the street on the way into the building here. There's this couple. And they had this dog, and it had dreadlocks. And I was like, you know, that's kind of offensive in a way. Should I be offended? It was like, I could just see what they thought. Look at his dreadlocks. He had like, all these dreadlocks, like Buffalo Soldier. And I was just like, staring at this dog. I was kind of like, What's in a haircut, you know what I mean? Like, would you give your fucking dog a Hitler mustache? Yes. That's kind of cute. A uh, pope hat. And a pope hat. And how about a nun's veil, too? Oh, another one. Tight ass, eh? What's happening, ladies and gentlemen? How you doing, folks? It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent September 4th in the year of our Lord, 2019. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. We have a guest this morning at 1.55 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on this September 4th morning, we have lightning. Yeah, there's lightning cascading through the sky, so maybe we'll have a little bit of a jolt on this one. Stay tuned. I might scream like a bitch. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtrin, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. 18 years of experience, diploma in theater arts. Um, I think back to some of my earlier escapades as a young actor, striding the boards, strolling through the boards, getting up there, shaking a tail feather, tail feather, (laughs) young rooster, trying to make it in this uh, show business racket. Um, Circa 2004. 
I was in theater school. I was 17 years old, 2004. We had a guest speaker come speak to our class. It was none other than Paul Gross. Now, Paul Gross, Paul Gross, is a famous Canadian actor. He was on the television series Due South. He played a Mountie, dressed up like an idiot with a stupid little rocking Bowinkle hat and the fucking red fucking Nazi outfit. You know, a, a fucking RCMP rapist. I mean, I mean officer, officer, RCMP officer, and he had a, his little dog, and uh, blah blah blah. And he also did a lot of film. He wrote, directed, produced um, a very successful film, I believe, called Passchendaele. Came out in two thousand and eight. That was a war film. Uh, Men with brooms. He was in the tele. That was, that was a film with Leslie Nielsen, Men with Brooms. If you recall that, the great late great Leslie Nielsen, funny comedic actor from the Naked Gun films. Paul Gross was in that. Uh, he was also in the f- television series uh, S- Slings and Arrows. That was a Canadian television series, Slings and Arrows, and. Uh, that was cool. It was like about some Shakespearean actor who was like going out of his mind thinking he was hearing the characters he played or seeing the characters he played or ghosts and shit. It was actually a very cool little television series. I actually watched that one. Slings and Arrows. So anyways, there he was in all his glory, Paul Gross. Now he... um. He comes to our class, and he sits down, and, uh, you know, he's a real sweet-looking guy, right? So, of course, all the girls are swooning. <laughs> Paul Gross. <laughs> oh, it's Paul Gross. <laughs> fucking laughing and tittering like little fucking school mice. And I'm like, oh, my God, right? This is so lame. And, you know, of course, what it was was... Jealousy. 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 Insecurity. You know, on my part as a young actor. So we got the opportunity to ask Paul Gross some questions, right? And everybody's like, oh, Paul, how do you make it in the business? Gee, shucks. Tell us, Paul. And he would sit there all cross-legged and give some pompous answer, you know? Well, as an actor, you got to... Feel it in your gut and your soul, and you gotta go out there and give it your all. And you know those are the breaks, kid. And blah blah blah, da, 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 and sitting there all cross-legged, trying to look all cute and shit. So then I put my hand up and I go, "Hey, Paul, got a question for you, buddy. Uh, do you ever think about acting sometimes and feel like it's all just one big waste of time?" Then he just looked at me and he goes, "A uh, no." Next question. <laughs> so yeah, he brushed it off like a champ. He saw the negativity and brushed it aside like a champ. And sometimes I think back to those, think back to that time because, you know, what was motivating me was obviously fear, jealousy, insecurity. It was a great opportunity to learn from a successful actor what the business was like. He donated He donated his time to come speak to my class. And instead of meeting it with um, acceptance, appreciation, 
um, a hunger for learning, you know? Instead of just dropping to my knees and sucking the fucking showbiz cock like everybody else in <laughs> show business is smart enough to do. And that's just a cheesy little joke, if you can call it that. But uh, no, instead of having the gratitude and the humility and the appreciation for a professional actor donating his time to my class to teach us something, I had the insecurity that is a muck. The insecurity that runs amok in show business. I got jealous, I got defensive, I got insecure. And I asked a very stupid question that was intended to be insulting. And he brushed it aside as nothing and moved on. And he's got a very successful career. And it was nothing to him. And rightfully so. And sometimes I think back on that with a little bit of shame, a little bit of guilt. And uh, here I am, 18 years in the game as an actor, and I could say I am truly alleviated from all the ticks, most of the ticks. You know, um, I see, I see how I was as a younger actor. You know, jealous, competitive. I see how my peers were, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've been stabbed in the back, stepped over for auditions, things like that. It can be a very petty, competitive, backstabbing, ugly industry. Very vapid, vain, uh, all that. But also the beauty of when you do work with uh, great people, when you go for work that is um, inspiring and, you know, when you conduct yourself with integrity, humility, and gratitude, it's a beautiful career. Nice work if you can get it. You can get it if you try. So, dear Paul Gross, if you're out there listening to this podcast, fuck you. You know? <laughs> I said it before and I said it again. Isn't it all just one big waste of time, Paul? Kidding, Paul. Uh... If you're out there listening, Paul, hey, you know what? Congratulations to all of what you do. Uh, This is getting stupid. I mean, he's a famous, successful actor. I don't have to fucking tell him anything. But if he is listening or if anyone's listening, uh, do know that I feel bad about that. Paul, I'm sorry. You're a very successful actor, and it was wrong of me to be such a little fucking arrogant douchebag. And... uh, Touche, lesson learned. I am also a alcoholic. <laughs> yes, an alcoholic rather. Two years, nine months of sobriety. If you should need recovery in your life, ladies and gentlemen, please go out and seek a 12-step program. That's what worked for me. Uh, a 12-step program is uh, nothing official. You can come to it at your own uh, leisure, at your own time timetable. And what it is, is these are sobriety meetings held throughout cities all over the world. There's one in a city near you, in a town near you, in the town in which you live. There's more than likely a sobriety meeting of some sort, a 12-step meeting. You can attend it, and you go and you just speak on um, 
matters of sobriety. Does it sound like fun to you? Because it is. You get to learn about how to recover from your addiction problems, your alcohol problems, your uh, substance abuse problems. Some people are even shopaholics. I remember the first meeting I went to. Oh, my God. This fucking lady, she gets up, she goes, Oh, by the way, I'm nothing like you people. Um, My problem is I'm a shopaholic. I just can't go 10 minutes without spending money. I'm always using my credit card and my debit card, and I got cash in every pocket. I just can't stop spending money. I don't know who I am anymore. (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, you fucking whore. And I stormed out of that meeting, and I went and got drunk. That's neither here nor there. That was my fault. But, you know, basically, um, it's a glorious thing to get recovery if you're afflicted and ailing from any ailment. See how cute that sounded? And, uh, yeah, check it out, man. Woman, child, whatever. Check it out, you know? It's what worked for me, 12-step program. And um, day by day, those days add up. And then one day, you find yourself in a new day, in a new dawn. So there it is. Jonathan Ramtran, alcoholic. I am also a janitor. Yep. I'm actually working today. This is one of my working days. This is the middle of the week. I work Monday to Friday, 7.30 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Hey, it's a blessed little shift, you know? It covers the bills, gets me up early, gets me out of the workplace early, and then I'm free to just kind of grind on this shit, you know? Grind on my actor grind. I'm not going to say it's not insulting, you know? Like... Here I am trying to insult Paul Gross on, you know, oh, isn't it a waste of time being an actor? And that was my attitude, and look what it got me. Fucking janitor. Scrounging around, fucking trying to turn a lousy buck in this godforsaken life. But no, there's a lot of gratitude that comes with it. Like I said, it covers my bills. It, um, and it keeps me in the game of performing. Because as a performer, if you're not handed shit, you need to work for it. You can't be sleeping on people's couches for the rest of your fucking life. So, this covers my performer hustle. Keeps me in the game. Pays for the podcast. Pays for this. Pays for that. Happy hallelujah. And last of all, I am a stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Um, Ten years of experience, ups and downs, smiles and frowns. Um, I've produced shows, I've performed semi-pro, pro, pro. I've um, done this and that. Um, I'm basically at a point right now where, like, I'm a middle act, meaning I'm like the middle performer before the headliner in a a production, you know? Like, um, I'd I'd be comfortable saying I'm an okay middle act, meaning I can carry... 20 minutes of original material, quite competent, quite, quite, quite competently, you know what I mean? I don't want to go around saying I'm a headliner yet, I'm not that, but I am a competent stand-up comedian, I got material, I'm working on it, and really what's holding me back right now is just stage time, stage time, and that's significant, Because all comedians would say that. If I could only get more stage time, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but a lot of them still don't know what to do with that stage time. 
I do. I have material experience. I would work it due diligently. I would know exactly how to craft that fucking diamond. But due to circumstance, um, it's a jungle out there, man. Like People are starving for stage time, starving for opportunity. I'm one of those people. But like I said, I feel like I... Uh, I have the experience to, uh, I have the experience to complain if I wanted to complain. Um, one thing I'm proud about on this podcast, if you listen to it, there's, sure, there's gripes and this and that, but it never gets too heavy. The complaints never really get poured on that hard. And to be honest, if I really just let the floodgates go, like I got reason and cause to complain. I could talk about this thing intelligently with complete detail if I wanted to. It would probably bore the shit out of the listeners, so I won't. But there it is. I have the right to complain as a comedian. (laughs) You know, like, I got the right to. Some people, they just complain because they think they should have this or they think they should have that and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, if you fucking listen to my story, if I got real deep into it, it's like, okay, well, and like, who wants that? That's That's the thing, too. It's like, it's like, it's like it's like a it's like a second place trophy or a tenth place trophy. It's just like, okay, you have the right to complain. Here you go. It's like it doesn't help. You know what I mean? It's like I might be right, but it doesn't help. Just because I'm right doesn't mean it helps, you know? Like who wants to you can't be right and a gentleman at the same time, now can you? Like it just because well, I've said it like five times there. Just because you're right doesn't make it right. <laughs> you know, it just it's just more pain upon pain. So what I'm trying to do is go forward as positively as I can. I'm going to stop insulting famous actors. I'm going to stop fucking crying and whining about shit. And I'm just going to keep on my grind. I'm going to keep mopping those floors. Push my little mop bucket. I'm mopping floors and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm washing windows. You know, I'm just going to keep my fucking mind on the grind and let it be like, uh, you know, John Lennon said. Or uh, was that Paul McCartney? Oh, that was Paul McCartney. He wrote that song about his mother, actually. Um, I saw a crazy cool interview with him. He talked about having a dream. And uh, Let It Be just came to him in a dream. And it was like his mother speaking to him. His mother had passed away. And his mother came to him in a dream. And then he just kind of woke up with the melody. And then he just wrote it. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me. Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. (laughs) So there you have it. Jonathan Ramcharan. Actor, alcoholic, janitor, stand-up comedian. So, welcome to the show. And here we have it. Um, Here we have it late. This this podcast is mad fucking late, too. Here we are, September uh, 4th. This podcast should have been out. Uh... August 31st or September 1st for the latest. So we are like three days late on the podcast. And do you know why? 
I've been depressed. Yes. If you are new to the show, you probably caught a little glimpse of some of the things that are going on with me in the introduction. And um, something that I've been trying to talk about lately because I've been getting some good feedback. I had different uh, listeners tell me that they appreciated some of the things I spoke on in regards to depression. And now, as a, as a, uh, what do you call it, as a, as a warning, <laughs> I like to warn my audience, obviously I'm not a trained professional. I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a doctor, I don't have that training, and in a lot of ways I don't even 100% believe in it. I mean, just because I'm not a fucking forensic psychologist doesn't mean I can't make an observation on you know, human conditions. But, you know, don't take my shit to heart. Don't take what I'm saying to heart. It's just what works with me. It's really me talking about me. And if you can relate, then you can relate. But this is by no means a diagnosis. Don't go crying to your doctor. I was listening to Jonathan Raptor in the podcast and I heard that you're a punk-ass bitch. I'm never coming back to psychology. And your doctor's like, what are you talking about, you fucking idiot? We've got like 10 more sessions to do. You're almost cured of your bedwetting. No! I was listening to Jonathan Rand for the podcast, and he told me I pissed the bed because, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's actually, uh, you know, your fault. Talking to you, you fucking idiot. I'm done. And you whip out your cock and piss on your psychiatrist and leave. Like, don't do that. What you want to do is just shut the fuck up, relate to this if you want to, and, you know, come to your own conclusions, seek other help, yada, 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 X, Y, and Z, right? So... Anyways, here we go. Feeling depressed. And um, was feeling depressed. Was feeling the blues. And uh, that's nothing like... Uh, with me, it's nothing... Uh, you know, like clinical. It comes and goes. And in a, lot of, in a lot of ways, it makes sense. You know, there's a lot of people out there like me. I would say it's more normal than not. That, you know... You got to bump and grind through life. And when you don't get what you want and you've been working very hard, sometimes you feel a little low. Now, I realized why I felt so low the last couple of days was because it was a holiday. Holidays are generally time for family and friends. And, you know, here I am, a 32-year-old man. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty much just in work mode. You know, um... There ain't no resentment, there ain't no begrudging, but my friends and my family, we're all kind of to ourselves. I didn't come from some tight-knit community. Everything's very fragmented, things are up in the air. So there's a lot of time spent alone, is what I'm saying. So sometimes, you know, I'm noticing as I get a little older, the holidays are a little bit harder. I've spent every holiday alone since 2010. Every single holiday. Well, that's not actually true. I was in a men's shelter in uh, 2011. So, you know, I got drunk with a bunch of homeless men on Christmas and New Year's 2011 going into 2012. So that's not true. I used to hang out with homeless people in men's shelters. But pretty much I've been alone every holiday since 2010. And I never gave a shit. Up until the last two years or so, it's starting to wear on me, right? And that's my own uh, load to bear. 
I have options. I've you know I've been invited to dinners and this and that, blah blah blah. But I am a performer. I am a solitary person, and that's just where my mind's at. You know. You can't have your cake and eat it eat it too sometimes, you know what I mean? On one hand, I cry out, I want to be an artist, I want to be a performer. Well, that's part of the job, you know? That's part of the luxury I have to be so untethered by, you know... They, like, as much as I do have conflict with the quote-unquote industry, you guys can't see, I'm finger-quoting here, uh, the industry... Like, there's no agenda out to get me. Like, all my complaints about the industry are pretty much the same that most performers feel. You just don't get that shine. You don't feel like you get that attention. Well, there's too many too hungry, and sometimes you got to elbow your way in. So, like, I cry out for this dream of being a performer. Well, that's just the reality of it. It's a lot of solitude, loneliness, strife struggle and there's no twisted agenda holding me back it's that's just the battle cry of the performer you know <sighs> you know that's how you feel in your head every morning and you wake up <sighs> but um you know those are some of the things that was leading me to feeling a little depressed this past labor day um and the major key one was you know, it's almost embarrassing. It's like, I was reading in the newspaper lately, actually. This was like about, you know, this was two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. There was this big, long article in the newspaper. And it was actually kind of re- referencing a little bit of the Beatles to harken back to my Let It Be serenade that I serenaded you with. Um, to harken back to that, they were talking about, you know, they just briefly mentioned Eleanor Rigby, you know, the Beatles lament on loneliness. Eleanor Rigby died, was donning her shoes in the thing, and a bada bada. Nobody came, all the lonely people, where do they all come from? Ah, look at all the lonely people. I look at all the lonely people. Eleanor Bigby played with a pussy in a church and was buried dead. The priest ate her cunt. Eleanor Rigby, right? The Beatles lament on loneliness. I was reading this article and they briefly mentioned the Beatles and that song. And they said that, they even put it in terms of, of this. They called it an epidemic. They were saying there was an epidemic of loneliness in North America and as broadly to say society in general. There's just an epidemic of loneliness. And while I don't always, you know, it's almost like I'm not lonely, but I am alone. You know, there's a difference. I'm not lonely, but I am alone. And I do feel a loneliness during the holidays. I'll admit that. But we basically look at it as uh, something to be ashamed of. (laughs) You know, like it's an embarrassing thing. You know, it's like, 
to say you're lonely or alone or whatever. Yet it's like this epidemic that faces all of us. They're saying like the highest loneliest, the loneliest feeling demographic is like women ages 18 to, I think they said like 18 to 55. That's like the loneliest demographic. Well, those are some stuck up bitches. You ever try to pick up a chick at the grocery store these days? They won't even look at you twice. It's like, no wonder you're so fucking lonely. You know, would it kill you to, you know, give me a hint? You know, what's going on with that pussy? Is it getting fucking taken care of or what? How am I supposed to know? You know, I'm like a glance over at a woman at a grocery store. She gives me the stink eye. No wonder you're so fucking lonely. <laughs> you don't even know what the fuck to do, do you? But, and, uh, I mean, I don't even believe in that statistic. They said that basically it was a fluff article in some ways because they brought up statistics and science and how much statistic and how much science can you really put to loneliness? You know what I mean? Like, use your common sense. And again, disclaimer, I'm not a fucking scientist, but how much science can you really put to loneliness? How much can you deduce from loneliness? You know? But apparently it's an epidemic, and it makes sense. You know, if you live in a big city, you see it. People are lonely as shit, man. I feed squirrels and feed birds and shit, and... That helps keep my loneliness at bay, you know? I got a bag full of peanuts this morning. I'm going to go feed my little buddies on the way to work, you know? <coughs> Squirrels, you know, that's how they sound. <coughs> Give them a peanut, you know, see them run around all happy. It helps my loneliness. But the flip side of that is, um, well, no, to continue on that thought, to finish that thought off, yeah. They say there's an epidemic of loneliness in society. Some of the ideas that came up to combat that was a, uh, they called it like a loneliness bench, which was kind of like redundant. Like, isn't a bench pretty lonely to begin with? <laughs> Have you ever seen a bench? Ever walk by a bench? There's usually somebody sleeping on it. So yeah, benches are pretty lonely in general. But um, they came up with something in the UK called like a loneliness bench. Or friendship bench. Basically, it's like a designated bench where it's like there's a sign that says, oh, come sit on the loneliness bench. And if you sit on the loneliness bench, then it's implied that you are open for a conversation. It's like when you sit on this bench, it's an indication that you're open for a conversation. So like, you know, lonely people can just go and sit on a bench and hook up with somebody like, hey, yo, what's up, man? I'm lonely as fuck. Talk to me, please. They can have like a conversation. So yes, the idea of loneliness, the epidemic of loneliness is real and alive. You see it. But um, that's the beauty of a lot of podcasts, I think. People get a talk on different subject matter, feel closer. That's the beauty of technology. You can reach out and make friends in all sorts of different ways. People are becoming friends online, playing video games and shit, you know? So, you know, don't be shy to reach out. And a part of my depression, my mild-mannered depression, you know, I, sometimes I get them in waves, you know, like uh, just when things aren't going right and I'm feeling a little low, came on this holiday weekend because obviously <clears throat> just kind of by myself feeling a little lonely and feeling a little frustrated with my performing. 
Now, to get specific on this idea of um, depression, um, loneliness is obviously a symptom of depression, I would imagine. But um, I came up with five little bullet points that I want to talk about in regards to depression. These are the five things that I think really affect um, my mood when I'm getting depressed. And i got to remember how to navigate through these waters in order to keep myself afloat, right? So these are five little bullets I came up with when it comes to um, depression and how I deal with it and what's going on, right? So the first bullet is negativity. Negativity. Yeah. When I'm feeling negative... Um, it's like, it's when I start thinking about all the, all the traps, all the traps of my life. Like I said there, I mentioned um, some of my career things in the beginning, right? How I was very negative as a younger performer at times, right? Very negative and arrogant. Or when I start dwelling on all the things that aren't happening in comedy and how I don't like the scene, like, for example, there is no scene in Toronto. And if you can prove me wrong, hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. If you can prove me wrong, if you can show me that there is a scene in Toronto, Canada for comedy where comics are welcomed with open arms, there's a paying, interested audience where there's a real scene happening where everybody's included and the audience is interested in with it. Show me where that scene is. There is no scene. It's everyone's out for them fucking selves. And there's a lot of desperation and negativity that, that can come with that if you focus on it. There's obviously a lot of great and you should focus your attention on those things. But, you know, I find myself when I'm getting depressed, getting swept up in this negativity. Like, for example, you know, we walk around and say it's all fine, honky-dory, honky-dandy, but it's not. It's like any industry, and I don't want to relegate my performing buddies, my fellow <clears throat> comics or whatever. I don't want to depict performers, actors, artists, whatever. I don't want to portray these people in a negative light. It's really any industry. It's really humanity in general. You'll find this type of behavior in every industry. Lawyers act this way. Doctors act this way. Dentists. Fucking doormen. Uh, plumbers. Accountants. Janitors. It's a symptom of humanity when people are just self-centered, narcissistic, jealous, all that type of shit. It's just a part of being a human being. As I mentioned, there's no scene. You know, you go out and about in Toronto, Canada doing comedy. There's all these little pockets of um, basically independent shows where there's no audience, first of all. That's a good indication of no scene. If there's no audience, they're half of the scene. They're fifth, like, the, like, for example, this podcast would be nothing without you, dear listener, dear listeners. That's what makes a performance. That's what makes something a scene. That's what makes something um, reviewable. 
That's what makes something entertainment. It's almost like if a tree falls in the fucking forest, does it make a sound? If a podcast gets put on the internet and no one listens to it, is it a podcast? If a show gets produced in town and nobody's there, did the show even happen? That's what I'm talking about. There's no fucking spot where, number one, the audience is engaged. The closest thing I can think of is there's some pot rooms. There's some marijuana stand-up comedy shows that happen. But the only thing that brings those people there is marijuana. They're not there for comedy. They're there to get high and act all trendy. You know, oh, I'm smoking weed. Ooh, I'm smoking weed at a pot bar and I'm listening to comedy. Oh, I'm so rebellious. But they're not actually there for comedy. Take away the weed, it's nothing. So... That's what I'm saying. There's there's no scene. You know, there's all these little independent shows where everybody's clicky. And it's not defined by an audience. That's what defines it. In my mind, the audience. Because then it's like, oh, the general public are interested in our work. The general public is interested in our voice. But they're not. So there are all these clicky little fucking rooms that really don't mean anything. It's really just a bunch of comics being clicky amongst themselves and diddly-doo, diddly-dum, but it doesn't fucking mean anything because it's not a part of an audience. There's no audience, so what's the fucking point? And when I, when I mention the negativity stuff, it's like people say shit with a smiling pants full of shit. They talk shit with shit in their pants. Like, for example, monkey see, monkey do. In 2010, somewhere around there, Chris Rock, legendary comedian Chris Rock, somewhere around there, 2010, like somewhere in the late 2000s, this is like a fairly recent interview I saw with him. He said something along the lines of, I love comedians. Whenever I enter a room, uh, I see a comic and I latch on to them. Oh, there's another comic. And I rush up and I latch onto the other comic. He said something along those lines. So, monkey see, monkey do. Everybody started saying that. Oh, I love comics. As a comic, first thing I do when I walk into a room is I look for another comic. I need to be around other comics. I mean, as a comic, I just prefer, like, there's something about the comic code. Like, as a comedian, I just love being around comics. Please, people say things to sound in the know, to sound in the now, in the know, a part of the circle, in the in crowd. You know, you see wildly successful Chris Rock say something, so then they say it. But there's none of that. There's no honor amongst thieves. There's none of that shit. You know, at least in Toronto, at least what I'm being, at least what I'm being shown, and I, you know, I'm like fuck. I'm out there like the rest of them. I'm not seeing any of this shit. I'm not seeing any of this uh, brotherly love, this sisterly love, this com- what's the camaraderie. What's the word? Um, compensation? What? Camaraderie? Camaraderie? I'm not seeing any of this camaraderie, comets, and just fuck off. <laughs> Don't get me pissed off this morning. It's only fucking 2.32 in the a.m., all right? Let me, let me hear you say camaraderie at fucking... 2.32 in the morning with a fucking pissed off look on your face. Let me see you do it. But there's none of this camaraderie. 
There's none of this. Oh, I walk into a room and I see a comedian. Oh, ah, I latch onto them. Oh, a comedian. Fuck it. Some of the worst people I've ever met were comedians. But then again, some of the worst people I ever met were human beings. So, you know, I don't fucking put any emphasis or any any meaning on that. But, you know, that's just the fucking vapid, two-faced, fucking lily-livered, Dr. Seuss, Mother Goose, cat in a hat, fake-ass fucking facade of show business. Oh, I walk into a room and I see a comedian and I latch onto them. Ugh. No, you don't. You get jealous. You fucking talk shit about them. You don't book them. You bump them. You fuck with them. You know, you, you ice them out. You're not a part of my community. You talk shit. You know, you try to up yourself on your little Facebook profile, posting all these stupid posts that are like nonsense. People live in these avatar worlds where they're just continuously posting shit online to look like they're doing this, to look like they're doing that. The blah, 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 the blah, 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 boo. And don't even get me started on actors. <laughs> you know, the amount of times I've been stabbed in the back, thrown under the bus, people trying to one-up you in a scene, fucking with your lines... You know, talking shit to the director. You know, like, there's all that type of shit in acting as well. But then again, like I said, it's a symptom of humanity. It's just the negativity that's underneath, that underlies humanity. So yes, negativity. It's a real force in depression. And you don't want to focus on it. You want to cut through that shit. You want to just see things that are negative and go, mm-mm, I look the other way. Mm-mm, I'm not a part of that. I'm not thinking about that. Mm-mm. Push it away. Knock it away. Wax on, wax off. I've never even seen that fucking movie, but I get the reference. Wax on, wax off. You whack it off. <laughs> you whack off. And you whack it away, right? Wax off, wax on. And you cannot take that negativity to heart. You can't let it in. You can't feed into it. You got to look for the good people because, like I said, there are a lot of great comedians that understand that, hey, yo, like, we hold each other up. If it ain't us doing it, who's doing it? Like I said, the scenes aren't really happening here. It's kind of like you kind of have to have your own following. You kind of have to build your own niche. You kind of have to do your own thing. And in order to do that, you got to click up and link up with cool, like-minded people. And there are. There are like-minded people. There are great comedians out there. There are great doctors, lawyers, dentists, accountants. There are good people. So you got to focus on those people. You know? Push away that negativity. And again, hit me up. jr.thepodcast at gmail.com Am I talking out of my ass? Is there really a golden comedy community that I've just never stumbled upon in all my years out here doing stand-up comedy? You know, in my eight years of stand-up comedy in Toronto, like, it's a, yo, man, it's happening in the States. Everybody wants to jump stateside. You know, the stateside comedy scene is not the same as the Canadian scene. It's fucking nothing going on here. But, you know, we're always looking to the States for our cues for everything. Economy, entertainment, fucking personality, persona, you know. Fucking immigration, shit like that. We're always looking to the state. Well, not on that, but, you know, we're always looking to the states for our fucking cue on, you know, I could speak more so to entertainment. That's the 
That's the fucking industry I'm in. So we're always looking to the states for our cue. And what that does is it creates a fucking uh, disparity because it's only for the chosen few who get to go stateside. And what that does is it creates a fucking, like I said, a disparity. And people are petty and small and close-fisted. And, um, you know, let's bottle up that negativity and focus on the positive. Because otherwise, you get depressed. So there you have it. Negativity. Um, number two on that list is um, poor diet poor diet and exercise. Yeah. I've been eating shit lately. <laughs> I want fucking ape tits. I, w- I ate a fucking box of egos. You know, ego my ego or lego my ego. I ate like 16 egos this past Labor Day. You know, you know I wasn't working. Laying on my back eating egos, uh, gummy bears. You know, I, I was getting deep into the gummy bears, man. Fucking went hard on the gummy bears. Uh, hey, like I said, I'm a sober janitor. How fucking fun did that sound? I'm a fucking sober janitor. So if I got to eat a fucking box of egos, if I got to eat a bag of gummy bears just to keep my sanity, then I'm going to fucking do it. But hey. Then again, I'm not going to do it. i got to move away from that shit, man. Like, I've been eating very poorly lately, and I haven't been working out. I hit, like, a fucking wall where I was just getting bored with working out. Like, if you're always doing the same types of exercise, I hate to say it, but it can get boring. Because I'm very much like a maintenance person. I'm very much about just getting the job done and going on with it, right? So when I'm working out, I... Something, you know, I'm not really looking to be entertained. I'm not looking for a fun new way to work out. I'm just looking for it to be over with. (laughs) Let's get it over with. I don't give a fuck what it is. Let's just get it over with. And I'm starting to notice, no, I need a little bit of diversity in my exercising. So that's something I'm going to be focusing on majorly, you know, majorly. Got to be focusing on um, my diet and exercise because it's just gotten away from me. Um, this past year, a lot of good things were happening to stay positive. Um, I was working very hard producing my own shows, Our Righteous Mike. That took up a lot of my time and energy on top of my, you know, I was mopping toilets, changing uh, urinals, things like that. So I was fucking face first in a urinal working as a janitor. And then I was producing comedy shows, Our Righteous Mike. I was going out doing stand-up, trying to do things with acting, taking acting classes and shit like that. So I was very fucking busy this year. And at some point, my diet and exercise got away from me. So I've noticed that's what's been affecting my mood lately too. Just been eating very poorly and not really exercising as hard as I could be. So moving forward, going to get strict again on the diet and I'm going to try to switch it up with the exercise. I'm going to try to take some sort of a class or do something different with the exercising. I got to, you know, I basically do push-ups, sit-ups, jog, jogging, cardio, push-ups, sit-ups, arm curls and shit like that. Basic maintenance. But I want to maybe take it a step further, do something else, something to shake it up. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that's very important when it comes to your uh, mood. When it comes to depression, way to combat that is uh, diet and exercise. Uh, the third thing 
The third thing on my list is bad relationships. Yeah, when you got bad relationships, that is a fucking problem. That's a problem I don't have anymore because that's the flip side of loneliness to harken back to that. You know, you could feel lonely, you could be feeling lonely, but there's worse things than being alone, as Charles Bukowski would say. Go look it up. Charles Bukowski, great writer, booze hound, alcoholic, bohemian writer from the uh, post-World War II era. Came up in San Francisco, I believe, Los Angeles area. Prolific uh, drunk, (coughs) worked in a post office. His landmark book, Post Office, if you want to read a book about the day-to-day grind, the burnout alcoholic, the fucking chasing of a dream, the, the, the crumpling of the human spirit, but the rising like a phoenix uh, aspect of the human soul, definitely check out Post Office by Charles Bukowski. That book, you know, oh, it's a joy to read. It's a fucking debauchery fucking wonderland of inspiration, humor, depression, the whole fucking thing. Post Office. Charles Bukowski. That's homework for all y'all listeners out there. But um, he was also a poet, and he wrote this poem called, um, I don't know what the poem was called, but there was a line in the poem, and the line was, there are worse things than being alone. So that's another aspect of having, um, you know, mild depression is um, bad relationships. When you have stupid people in your head, around you, bothering you, Wasting your time. Energy vampires is what I call these fucking idiots. Energy vampires. They, do, they add no value to your life other than to get into your fucking life and waste your time and, you know, waste your energy and cry on your shoulder. But they never give you nothing back in return. Energy vampires. <laughs> I want to suck your time. <laughs> Energy vampires, man. So slap these idiots out of your life, man. Get the fuck out of here. Slap them right the fuck. Get the fuck out of my life. Get on with you. So yes, bad relationships. Get the fuck away from those as soon as possible. Uh, Friendships, boyfriends, girlfriends, even family members, you know. We're living in an era right now where people are talking about... um, you know, toxic relationships in terms of the family. You know, th- one of the oldest sayings is, you know, blood is thicker than water. You know, and, you know, people are ride or die for their family. And it's like, that's how it's usually been. Well, we're in this age right now where people are really um, contemplating existence. And people are openly saying, like, yo, toxic relationships, whether it's Family, friends, it's just a no-no. And if you got a toxic family member weighing you down, again, reach out to a real professional. Reach out to um, some real education on this. But a lot of people are just cutting people out of their life like that. Toxic family members like, sorry, dad, you're a prick. Fuck off. And then that's just it. Or, you know, maybe it's not as harsh as that, but that's the idea. People are really cutting out negative, toxic relationships. So that's definitely um, 
definitely something to keep in mind if you're feeling depressed and you're having these issues of, um, you know, bad feelings or whatever. Think about it. Bad relationships. Fourth on my list is um, ineffectiveness. Um, as I mentioned there, you're feeling uh, negative. You know, you're, you're, you're brooding and you're thinking about all the things that aren't going right in your life. You get negative. And then you're eating bad and you're not working out. And, you know, you've got all these bad relationships around you. You start to feel ineffective. And ineffective is like, as a comic, that's very torturous. Like how it feels as an ineffective performer is you're just not performing. You know, a bird's got to sing. Um, a fucking duck's got to quack, you know. A comic has to joke. A fucking painter has to paint, you know. A lawyer has to litigate. A fucking, uh, you know, a dentist has to pull teeth. Whatever the fuck it is, you know. A plumber's got to plumb. So that's what it is, man. And when you're feeling ineffective, that's a major cause of depression. And, you know, that's just a reality. It, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It's just looking at what's going on with you and making some logical, logical conclusions. Okay, well, I'm kind of ineffective. There's all these things that I want to do and I'm feeling ineffective. Maybe that's why I'm feeling a little low. Maybe there's nothing in particularly wrong with me other than I just got to step my game up a notch and find out how I can get going with my goals. Right? Feeling ineffective, that's definitely a cause of um, depression in my life when I feel depressed. And again, um, I want to put it out there to anybody. Uh, I'm not trying to worry people or whatever. I go through depression um, mildly. I look at it as very logical. When things aren't going right with me, I get a little bit low. I feel a little depressed. As soon as I start taking care of these things, then... My mood gets uplifted. You know, if you do right, it's logical to feel right. You know? If you're taking care of your business, it's, it's logical to assume that you're going to feel like you've been taken care of. If you're doing well, it's logical to feel well. Right? That's all I'm saying. And um, when you're feeling ineffective, that's a good sign to kind of take charge Grab the reins, readjust. So that's the fourth one on my list there. Ineffectiveness. And the last on my list of top five reasons to feel depressed. <laughs> okay, we're counting down the hits on depression. Number one, negativity. Number two, poor diet and exercise. Number three, bad relationships. Number four, ineffectiveness. And coming up at number five, top reasons for feeling depressed. You want to jump out of a window. You want to blow your fucking head off in front of your parents. Number five. I should have, you can't really count down. I was counting up. <laughs> See, I don't know how to count. That's, that's number six on my list of depression. I'm stupid. Stupidity. Countdown. I just counted up. You guys are smart. You probably got what I said like two minutes ago. But anyways, number five on my list of reasons for depression. Ingratitude. When you're feeling ingrateful, 
It's when, you know, the grass always looks greener on the other side. What I don't have versus what you should have. Wham, wham, wham. Rather than looking at all the blessings you do have. You know? Um, I have a select group of friends that keep me very um, fulfilled when I talk to them and stuff like that in terms of uh, relationships, good relationships. You know, I got a few good friends. Um, I have the podcast. I have goals, real goals going on in my career. I operate with a sense of integrity. So I feel like when I'm in contact with anybody, whether it be through my janitorial hustle or my performing life, I operate with integrity. So I don't feel a part of that negativity when I talk about all the fucking fakeness and blah, blah, blah of my industry. I'm not a part of that. I operate with integrity. I, op- I treat people the way I want to be treated. Do unto others as you will do unto yourselves. So I got no qualm with that, really. I'm not even really a part of it. I kind of just slap it away. As, that's not for me to even pay attention to. And um, the gratitude is, um, you know, the gratitude is definitely there. Um, I don't want to sit here and do some puff piece, start getting like braggadocious and stuff. Even there, saying there that, you know, it's kind of tasteless to me to sit here and say what I'm doing, what I'm not doing, or to, to boast in a way. Ah, fuck it, let me boast. Like I said, working hard on the podcast, a um, lot of plans in motion in terms of the performing, real things with time, money, energy being spent into it. Uh, so, you know, very grateful for what is going on in my career at the moment. Uh, the job, the janitorial job, like I said, it's a union job. I got like a bunch of like... Uh, they call them floating days, um, days off with pay. So that's just a part of the contract. Like, you know, there's all these little bonuses. So i got a bunch of paid days coming up, holidays coming up. Like, it's a decent gig for what I'm doing. The hours are great, 7.30 to 3.30. It's close to my house. Um, and I'm just going forward with things, man. Plenty of gratitude. And um, it was just a little bit of a rough patch this past Labor Day weekend, because, um, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground. So when you're feeling kind of like stagnant and you're not doing much, that's when, you know, the wheels start spinning. But once you just get back on the road, things have a way of working out, you know. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Let me uh, count down or count up or let me just list them off here. You know, some of the things I find when I'm feeling depressed, I'm dealing with negativity, poor diet and exercise, bad relationships, ineffectiveness, and ingratitude. And when I uh, make an effort to address those things, that's when um, I feel better. It's logical to feel good if you are doing good. All right? Food for thought. It's your old chuckle buddy, guess who? Jonathan James Ramtran. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent uh, September 4th in the year of our Lord, 2019.
Hey, you know, we all go through little mild depressions, little bouts of ingratitude, little bouts of bullshit. Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. You have anything you want to add to the conversation, any advice for me, any um, X, Y, and Z, hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, you live it, you love it, you realize it. All right? Peace. Ha 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 ha!